leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week I've got a very special guest. He is a sports business classroom alum. He's a third-time guest on the program. His name is Stephen Lowe. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me again. Now, uh, you, of course, are a, a big-time Raptors fan. You follow them all season long, and, and I've had you on several times, uh, uh, much earlier in the season and in the offseason, to, to talk Raptors, but it's been a while, and, and uh, the team has had some pretty interesting games as of late, uh, You know, most notably their uh, destruction of the Boston Celtics uh, basically a week ago, and then... Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. They just uh, got done with their game against the Houston Rockets in which they lost to uh, to Houston in in what was a very entertaining game. Let's get right into, uh, into this matchup with the Rockets. And I, I thought it was pretty fascinating the way they uh, the, the Raptors went after defending James Harden. Of course, Harden having a, a terrific year scoring the basketball. You've seen a lot of different coverages from different teams. I noticed when, uh, when the when the Rockets played the Milwaukee Bucks earlier in the season, the Bucks basically played uh, on on Harden's left hip, and you know to prevent those step back threes by being right on his shooting hand. But Toronto in this game uh, early on were they were playing on his right hand side and almost letting him drive to his strong hand, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I thought that they defended him pretty well for a few quarters, and then uh, once it got to the fourth quarter, it seemed like things unraveled a bit and he started um, getting his and hitting a couple tough shots. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. I thought that, you know, they did a good job switching. Uh, I thought Siakam did a really great job um, getting up on him and, um, you know, the, the contesting that step back or sidestep three without um, fouling. Um, I thought they did a good job on him and uh, they sent help 
um, appropriately. And I, it, it's one of those things where I think that they, with the lineup that they decided to play, the starting lineup with Mbappe, they had kind of the the defensive versatility to, you know, defend, collapse on Harden's drives, and then be able to uh, recover quickly to uh, shooters on his kickouts. So I thought that they had a pretty good scheme there for um, at least the first three quarters. Yeah, you know, you you wouldn't normally think it's a it's a smart defensive strategy to essentially allow Harden a, a driving lane to the basket. But again, the the Bucks showed that that can be effective as long as your your you know your help defense is designed to to kind of uh, uh, to stop him at the rim. And and that's been I think one of the the best ways to slow down Harden is to to take away those step back threes. Which again, if you if you're playing directly on his side. Uh, you can kind of do that and make it difficult for him to step back uh, because he would essentially be stepping back into the defender. Uh, but then, you know, also staying out on shooters and, and just having your big man drop back, uh, you know, avoid committing fouls and just stand up strong and make him finish over contact. And uh, as good as Harden is, he, he sometimes can struggle when you, uh, when you meet him at the rim. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that uh, Serge Ibaka did a great job um, today at the rim. You know, he was doing uh, what it looked like was instead of just going completely vertical, he was actually jumping and kind of floating backwards a bit to ensure that um, he wasn't leading into the defender at all. And with his length, he was able to make uh, some of those drives difficult. Um, and I, I could tell the, at least the first few drives there, Harden was getting frustrated that he wasn't getting foul calls that he typically does when he makes those uh, strong drives to the bucket. Yeah, and the, and the Raptors went on a huge, uh, huge run in the third quarter. They were actually down about 18 at the half, but that third quarter run was was very much predicated on on the defense and and really shutting down Harden. Uh, and you know, I thought Lowry did a good job switching out on on James. And whenever uh, James tried those step backs, Lowry would would oftentimes try and just like. Why it seemed like wildly swipe at the ball, but I think it was more just kind of trying to distract him. But it seemed like that worked on a few occasions. Yeah, no, there was a. It was really during that run where um, they were really going at Harden on the offensive end when he was in foul trouble. Um, he was guarding fours, um, which in this case was Siakam, which he, you know, they they have uh, hidden him there um, in some of their larger lineups the past when uh, Tucker is guarding a perimeter player. Uh, I know the Rockets like to hide Harden on the floor, and uh, in this case, they're hiding on Siakam, and I think that that was a miscue because uh, Siakam was able to take him in the post and uh, score quite easily on him on a few possessions there, which you know put pressure on him defensive end, and it looked like he was just a little bit tired on the offensive end um, to carry the load um, after being beat up in the post uh, so many possessions in a row there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that was fascinating because, you know, the, a lot of people don't realize, but Harden is actually a, a pretty strong post defender. He's always had pretty good numbers defending on the block, but I think a lot of times that just comes down to when he's defending guys that are just straight back to the basket guys, kind of right. trying to bowl him over, and he's just so strong that he doesn't get moved that easily. But Siakam has that great blend of not only the size advantage over Harden, but also the quickness. And I think that was where, you know, that's that's kind of a matchup where Harden can really struggle as a guy that can can face him up, drive around him, and shoot over the top. Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, you know, a lot has been made this season about Siakam's spin move, which um, is, you know, kind of his patent move that he's been going to in the post. 
for a lot now. Uh, but what I've noticed is that he's just so quick now at just um, going from his dribble into his floater um, or his you know quick finish. So he's just able to get that shot up so quickly and over the hands of shot blockers. And if you put a smaller defender on him in Harden, um, he's just going to be able to go to his right hand and finish over top all night long. Yeah, he uh, he has improved tremendously, and he's got great touch around the basket. Yep. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about Siakam later, but uh, I wanted to to talk a little bit more about that first half in which the Raptors kind of dug themselves into a hole and and uh, they scored under twenty points in both the first and second quarter, and it really seemed like Houston's defense, the switching, and the physicality really gave the Raptors struggles. Yeah, I think that uh, Kawhi, you know, he still ends up scoring. Um, somewhere in the 20s, how much he ended up having, like 24 or something like that, like 26, yeah, so, but he was, um, Tucker was giving a real tough time, you know, just pushing him off the spots that he liked to get to, and I thought at the beginning of the game, they were trying to get him established a little bit too much, you know, a lot's been made about, you know, two offenses that they have, and, you know, one that's more isocentric when Kawhi's on the floor, and the more free-moving one uh, when he's off the floor, and I think that, um, what was happening here is with Tucker kind of not allowing um, Kawhi to get those post-entry passes, they were wasting a lot of time early in the shot clock, and then when they tried to get some ball movement going on late in the clock, they just didn't have enough time to really move around and set up good shots, especially around uh, Houston switching defense. So I think they had some struggles there. And Abaco was struggling a little bit early on in the uh, pick-and-roll offense there, missing some shots that he typically makes. So I think that those kind of factors made them really slow down in the first quarter. Um, but their defense was pretty good, and I think that's what kept them in the game. Um, it was really when that second unit came on that it kind of got blown open uh, when they couldn't defend that Chris Paul-led bench unit. Yeah, the uh, you know Chris Paul continues to to look pretty good after struggling for most of the season. He's He's looked like the Chris Paul of old here in the last week or so. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're right. The uh, the bench for the Raptors got absolutely destroyed in this game. Uh, Marcus Saul and uh, OG Ananobi, their plus minus for the game was minus thirty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So certainly, uh, you know the this Raptors team has been known for their depth. Uh, you know they they traded some of their depth away in uh, in deals to get Leonard and Gasol. But they've been able to to add to it with with pickups of uh, Jeremy Lin at the, at the buyout time and and also uh, Patrick McCall. But the bench certainly uh, did did not play well tonight and, and got absolutely eviscerated in in that second quarter. This is uh, probably the first game um, so far in uh, during Marcus Gasol's uh, short tenure here with the Raptors where I felt like he just couldn't stay on the floor against the team. Um, you know, it was the, the pick-and-roll offense with, uh, you know, they were using uh, Capella and even Nene was just too much with Chris Paul, who was able to kind of take advantage of the space, uh, the mid-range space, if Gasol dropped back and then was able to kind of abuse him if they ended up switching and he got him on him um, kind of higher um, in, in the key, outside the key there. So I thought that, you know, Gasol really struggled there. And that lineup that he was playing with, you know, when guys aren't making shots, it really neutralizes Gasol's passing out the mid-post, and, you know, they were really quick to kind of throw an extra body on him and, you know, force him to try to be a scorer, uh, which 
you know, it seemed like he was a little bit reluctant to do there. So I think that, you know, Houston did a really good job of, you know, scheming and taking advantage quickly of these matchups when the bench unit was out there. You know, when uh, Masai Ujiri made that move and, and acquired Gasol, I think a lot of people were concerned of the idea that, oh, he's going to, you know, he's going to force Nick Nurse to, or this move is going to force Nick Nurse to start Gasol uh, because of Gasol's pedigree or whatnot. But uh, that hasn't been the case. You know, they, they've still kept Gasol in, in essentially the same exact role Valanchunas was in in terms of starting him against very traditional old-school big man uh, you know, matchups like he, like against uh, Andre Drummond in Detroit. Uh, but then, uh, you know, in, in these matchups where he's just kind of the backup center, uh, they, they start Ibaka and Siakam. And, and I, for one, have always liked the idea of maybe playing Siakam at the five some. Uh, and, you know, this, this matchup against Houston seems like a perfect example of, of a time where maybe Ibaka and Siakam should have played the five for all 48 minutes. Yeah, no, I, I felt that way as well. And, you know, I was kind of surprised. I thought that Gasol could have played a little bit better in the matchup against Nene. Um, but, you know, it, I think it was just Houston being able to spread it out and Chris Paul being really able to take advantage of that pick and roll that kind of uh, made him ineffective. But um, I think Nurse, you know, should have kind of uh, experimented with that a little bit or maybe even playing... Um, Siakam a little bit more with the second unit to kind of get the offense going. Um, there was definitely just those minutes there were what really lost the Raptors game. I felt like. Well, and there, you know, another guy that we kind of have to talk about because it always seems like his name comes up in in big games, and and sometimes he, uh, it, it's for the for negative reasons that he didn't exactly show up. Kyle Lowry, I thought, despite a, a pretty solid performance defensively. Uh, really had a poor game on the offensive end of the floor. Finished 4 of 16 with 5 turnovers. And uh, out of the Raptors starting 5, he was the only one with a a, a negative plus-minus. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, with, with Kyle, even though, you know, the he had a negative plus-minus and you know, he had obviously had a poor shooting night, I still felt like he was having a positive effect on the floor. Um, I thought that, you know, his defense was good, that, you know, he was playmaking and finding his teammates, even though the, there's a lot of missed bunnies near the rim and some open threes that were missed. Um, and, you know, like sometimes it feels like Kyle, who, when he's attacking the rim and he's not getting calls, that sometimes he'll get frustrated and um, it affects his offensive game. Um, and when that shot's not falling, it's, it's tough for him to buy a bucket. And I think that a lot of teams are kind of, uh, and I'm expecting to see this in the playoffs, right? Yeah, he it's uh it's really interesting. I you know, he uh he has been put into a role that uh, even if he struggles to shoot, he still can have a positive impact with his passing and defense because his usage is is a little bit lower. But you know, you you watch a first half in this game and, and the Raptors are struggling offensively. Kawhi Moore got going in the second half as well as Siakam. And when both of those guys are maybe struggling a little bit, you would hope to see you know a guy like Lowry step up and 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 be a little bit more aggressive and and look for his shot and he's just been weirdly hesitant all season long. Yeah, yeah, and you know 
a lot of times I think you know, he's trying his best to get these other guys established, especially when he's on the floor with Kawhi. I think that he's you know always cognizant of trying to get Kawhi going in a spot. Um, and you can tell that you know on Saturday or Sunday, sorry, when he was playing without him on the floor, he kind of was more at ease of you know, just having the ball in his hands, knowing when to be aggressive. Um, and I think that this is kind of a transition that he's slowly making as he you know ages in this point guard role um, of just you know having the ball in his hands a lot less and you know needing to be more of a catch and shoot finisher at the end of these plays where you know, he might not touch the ball for the first 15 seconds of the play, um, especially with uh, Siakam emerging as a you know playmaking ball handler as well. Um, he's just you know getting the ball a lot less. You mentioned his usage is lower, um, and I think that he's. Yeah, you mentioned on Sunday against the the Pistons. He, I think, he ended up with thirty five points in an overtime loss. He, uh, yeah, as you said, he was very aggressive and it seemed to be the Lowry that we saw from a couple of years ago. And and yes, it, it seems to be frustrating just from trying to see the the Raptors at uh, play at their highest level. It, it would seem to be you know they would need to have that sort of aggressive Lowry while he plays with Leonard, uh, but uh, there hasn't been quite enough of that. I thought another thing that was interesting in that uh, in that Detroit game was the fact that uh, Kawhi sat again for for load management, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but uh, Jeremy Lin stepped into the starting lineup. Uh, you know they they have started OG Ananobi uh, in in place of Leonard in in previous times where he's sat, but but Lin was 0 for 8 in that game. And with the fact that uh, the the Raptors, especially that starting lineup, plays a lot of isolation, and, and even without Leonard, they they play a lot of ISO with the likes of Gasol and, and Siakam. It seemed like Lynn just couldn't get comfortable out there with that starting group. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, you know Lynn has um, over the last few games struggled a little bit. I think that he's kind of being hesitant a little bit as well. Um, you know, trying to balance when to be aggressive and, you know, when to be a playmaker. Um, it seems like it's it's in its first nature to, you know, try to create for others and um, to make the extra pass. But, uh, you know, Nurse has wanted him to be aggressive, especially taking over uh, Fred Van Vliet's role here. And it seems like he's been struggled in his decision-making as to, you know, when to drive and be aggressive, you know, when to pull up and shoot versus when to... Uh, you know, slow it down and create for others. And I think that you know, it's clear that there's going to be a little bit more of an adjustment period for Lynn here. Yeah, so when uh, you, know, you mentioned Van Fleet, of course, he's hurt, and, and that was why it was kind of a perfect uh, perfect timing for the Raptors to, right. to snag Lynn because he could just fill right into that, uh, into that backup point guard role. But when Van Fleet returns, what kind of role do you see for Lynn? Is he going to kind of play the role that uh, DeLon Wright played uh, prior to, to him being shipped away in that Gasol trade? Do you see him being a, a little bit, uh, even a, a more featured player than that? I think that um, it'll probably be, probably be similar to the DeLon Wright role. Um, I think that you know, Nurse is, is a huge proponent, you know, he's a huge um, fan of uh, Van Vliet's game, um, for better or for worse. You know, there's times when Van Vliet feels he's being overly aggressive and uh, he shouldn't be getting like as many minutes on days when he's uh, when his shot's not 
falling. Um, but Nick, you know, will continuously you know play him kind of heavy minutes as uh, in that sixth man role. Um, and it feels like when he comes back, that Van Fleet will kind of step back into that role, and um, you know Lynn will kind of go into that third point guard slash you know backup shooting guard role. And I think the minutes that are going to be lost is probably going to be Pat McCall is going to lose some playing time, and maybe even Norman Powell. Um, so I think that's how the rotation will, will shake up there. Yeah, that's uh, you. You started answering my next question, but I was curious. You know, how many? Uh, you know, when it comes playoff time, do you imagine this is going to be a nine-man rotation and Powell's going to be out of there and McCall completely? You think they might play as many as ten? I think they're going to end up playing ten. Um, you know, it's it's just they don't have kind of if the if they end up you know deciding to play a nine-man rotation with both Van Fleet and. Uh, and uh, Lynn in the rotation, I think they're just a little bit too small. And, you know, I think that they're going to need to kind of mix in, um, you know, McCall and Norm as um, one of them at least as kind of like a, a ranger wing defender off the bench. Um, what's interesting is neither of them have, you know, shown the consistency to really grab that role. Um, you know, Norm uh, Powell was kind of showing before the trade deadline flashes of kind of returning to the form which earned him the extension that he signed um, but he's reverted back you know there's games where he just shows some poor decision making and tunnel vision um, and McCaw I've actually really liked his game it's just um, at times you know he's hesitant to shoot and you know not as aggressive as you'd like him to be kind of attacking the rim um, but you know I, it's, it's kind of a shame that neither of them have, have really you know, come out here and seize the role but I, I think one of them will still get minutes yeah, that's the that's the challenge with these rotations. You know, you you talked about you know playing Van Fleet and uh, and Lynn and not the likes of McCall and Powell, and maybe you don't have enough size. But also, as soon as you put in Powell or McCall, you, you maybe don't have quite enough shooting out there on the floor right. at times. Uh, so it is a struggle. I, I personally think they should just stick with the with the nine man rotation and and just okay. eliminate Powell and McCall completely. And and one of the reasons I think they could get away with that is because. You know, I think they should be playing Danny Green more. You know, he's only playing right now about 28 minutes a game, and and he's got the size to. You know, he he starts at the two with this starting lineup, uh, but he's got the size to slide down at the three. And they do have Ananobi coming off the bench who can play the three and four. Got it. Yeah, no, that's not a that's a, that's a fair that's a fair point. You know, Danny is a guy who can you know, play off the bench a little bit, uh, play with the bench in a little bit, and you know he can slot it. He's a type of player that can slot in anywhere, right? He's a guy who defends, um, you know, makes smart reads, and is a is a good shooter. Um, a lot of that I would actually like to see is, you know, we've seen um, at times Nurse experiment with, you know, Pascal Siakam playing a little bit with the bench unit to give them an offensive weapon. We've seen Lowry kind of run with the bench unit, which has you know, historically been pretty successful for the Raptors. Um, we haven't seen Kawhi play a lot at all with the bench unit. Um, and I wonder, you know, with his ISO heavy style, you know, if you kind of put Kawhi out there, um, and for a few minutes, you know, he's just you're just running plays through him um, against some of these bench units, um, you know, taking him out a little bit earlier in the first quarter, if that would be something that could balance out the offense a little bit more. Um, you know, that's something that I'm curious about. You know, that's similar to you know, what Chris Paul does with the Rockets, where he'll run um, a couple minutes when. 
Yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting point, and and you know, given all of Kawhi's uh, potential issues with his quad, uh, you know, the Paul kind of yeah plays about the first five minutes uh, of the first quarter, then gets about a five minute break, comes in, plays another about five or six minutes till James Harden comes back, then he sits and then plays about the last four or five minutes of the quarter. So it it also makes it so that. Uh, you know, a guy uh, that uh, maybe is struggling a little bit with an injury doesn't have to have as extended of a run out there. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I think that, you know, sometimes when I see, you know, even when Kawhi has it going out there, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, the, the the rest of the, you know, offense, the, the rest of the players in the starting lineup are not being utilized to their, you know, full abilities because, you know, there's minutes out there where Kawhi's going to get buckets regardless of, you know, who's guarding him or, you know, who else is on the floor. And then there's times when I see the bench out there really stagnant and not able to generate any offense. And I, and I wonder, you know, if you kind of mix and match the minutes a little bit there, um, still have Kawhi kind of playing the same amount of playing time, um, just, to, you know, giving a different look to the opponent. I wonder if that would be more successful for the Raptors to kind of avoid these situations where they're blowing early leads or falling into early holes. And, you know, having to dig their way out late in the fourth. Just one more comment about Danny Green. You know, I, I mentioned that he's only playing about 28 minutes a game. Is is there something I'm missing? Because, you know, Greg Popovich seemed to uh, to not be too fond of Danny Green. He would take him out a lot for, for all these mistakes. Uh, you know, and, and they seemed very willing to just kind of throw him in in the Kawhi deal. And, uh, you know, now with Toronto, you know, he's he's starting... And, you know, he's shooting over 43% from downtown. He's got one of the top 10 net ratings in the entire league. Yeah. Uh, why isn't he playing more minutes? It's, it's, a, it's a good question, you know. Like, um, you know, sometimes, you know, Danny's the type, type of player where I feel like whenever he's on the floor, he's, you know, doing, he's either, you know, making big shots or he's always playing good defense, right? I, I think that that's, you know, a fair assessment on the defensive end. On the offensive end, I feel like, you know, when he is committed to being a spot-up shooter, you know, if he's when he's willing to kind of run around screens in more of a J.J. Redick role, he's fantastic. Um, there's times, though, where I feel like he tries to do a little bit too much, um, and I don't think it negates from it. Clearly, the numbers speak to it that he's, you know, been great, right, like whenever he's on the floor, but... There's time when he, where he puts the ball on the floor, um, where he posts up, and you know you kind of wonder why you know, he's doing those things. I understand that it's a contract year, and you know trying to show you know how expansive his game is. But I just feel like if you really committed to playing a Kyle Quarter or a JJ Redick type role, just running around screens and getting uh, open looks around three, and you know making it really difficult for the defense. Um, but, you know, he'd be even more effective because, like you said, he's a 43% shooter. I think he should be shooting more threes. Um, so that's my only problem with Danny. But I agree with you. I think he should be playing more. Um, and I think that they should be using him as more of an offensive weapon, as someone that they should be looking for um, to shoot more. 
Yeah, that that's a fair point. Uh, you know, there there are times where he he tries to expand his game a little bit too much, and yeah. and there'll be a random box score I'll look at, and it's like, oh, he had five turnovers. How in the heck does Danny Green have five turnovers? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, because yeah, like uh, you know, if he's just playing that role where he's catching and shooting, like uh, there's no there's no world in which you commit that many turnovers. But but uh, yeah. but yeah, so that's a fair point. But yeah, I, I certainly think he's. He's been one of their best players, and he's 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 been criminally undervalued around the league. But uh, you know, speaking again on you know the the Kawhi Leonard uh, front and and the whole thing with uh, load management. I remember when when I talked to you uh, pretty early on in the season when the Raptors got off to that twelve and two start. Uh, I was I was asking you, you know, were you concerned about the fact that they were resting Kawhi on back to backs, and and your response essentially was, no, I think that was the game plan going into the season. Uh, right. But but a, as the year has gone on, it's gotten beyond just resting him on back to backs. They're they're resting him on quite a few occasions now, and and it looks like he's going to be rested on on about 20 to 25 games at least uh, before the season is done. Is, is, there, is there anything to be concerned about? Do you think that's a, a genuine issue where he is feeling soreness in that quad and so they're, they're just resting him? Yeah, I, I, I wish I had a good answer for you. I have no idea <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what's going on with the load management. I think Raptor fans are kind of you know, holding bated breath. <laughs> we, like, it's it's one of those things where you know it's it's not clear. Um, he comes back and he looks fine, um, but there are certain times when you know it looks like he's favoring his legs sometimes off spills and things like that. And you know you wonder you know if there's is extended soreness. You know, um, you know Alex McKechnie, who's the uh, you know Raptors, uh, uh, I think he's like the head the, the head of their you know health and you know phys, uh, physiotherapist, and I'm sure he has a much better title than that. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just slipping my mind right now. But you know, he worked with the Lakers for a number of years during their championship runs, um, and you know he came to the Raptors with a strong reputation. And um, what the front office has communicated was that there was a a rest plan that was set at the beginning of the year uh, when they looked up through the schedule, and you know they passed it through with Kawhi, and everyone was signed off, and they're following that plan. You know whether that's you know. Uh, truth or if that's revisionist history i have no idea because <laughs> if that's the case you know you kind of wish that you could just find out much earlier on what days are going to be load management days and what days aren't um but you know it, it's if if it gets quiet through the season and he's fresh for the playoffs then you know i'm 100 for it um my main concern is if there's um you know with you know not a lot of games remaining a lot of new pieces and Kawhi missing a number of games if there's enough time to get uh, the chemistry to really gel there. Yeah, and you know, I guess the the argument for the idea that this was scheduled in advance, it, it does seem like the games that he's being rested are games against you know what were thought to be weaker competition. Uh, you know, they they rested him against uh, I believe the Orlando Magic, and they ended up losing that game. But, uh, you know, it always seems like he is playing on these big nights where they're taking on a team like Houston. So perhaps that's right. Perhaps they did uh, already set this, and, and that would probably be a good sign. Uh, and, you know, Toronto made a huge investment into this guy, and, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're going to offer him a, a max contract this offseason. So it is in their best interest to make sure that he's uh, healthy for the long term. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, in, uh, in a lot of local 
interviews, which you know might might not have been picked up by um, you know the wider national media. Um, you know, Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri have both kind of communicated that uh, when asked about you know Kawhi and his future, that you know some of the biggest factors for him are winning and his health. And I think that the Raptors are really you know trying to show and emphasize that they are 100% committed to his health. If there's going to be, you know, they might only have him for a season, but if they lose a couple games because they're trying to be extra cautious with his health, that will be the case. And they want, and their goal is to make sure that he gets through the season healthy and playing at the high level that he was before, you know, whatever quad issues took place beforehand. And, you know, that's what they're communicating um, to his team. And it seems like, you know, what they're trying to communicate out is, you know, if they do end up losing Kawhi, it'll 100% not be something that the organization had control over. I think that's kind of what they're um, trying to control for. Because, you, you know, you can't change the location of the team. You can't change the weather. And if those are the reasons why, then, uh, you know, so be it. But it's, but I think that the side saying that, you know, like, he'll be damned if it's due to, to not winning or if it's due to, uh, you know, not Yeah, I mean, uh, in in terms of, I mean, the Raptors made a bet on on being able to do a year long pitch, and and I think right. you know that their pitch couldn't have gone much better. You know, you, you the, they've shown him that they've got some young talent. You know, Pascal Siakam's growth has been has been tremendous, yeah. and and they're going to have him for the long term. So Kawhi knows he's got. Uh, a secondary uh, young guy that'll be with him for the long term. They've shown that they can win with him. They could win without him. Uh, so again, that the the resting is uh, you know they can get away with it and be okay. They made a big deadline move too, right? They, right. they went out and got another another uh, guy. Um, who, you know they did sacrifice you know some youth to get a guy that can t- try to help put them over the top this year. Exactly. So you know they, they've shown him that they're committed to to winning and and doing whatever it takes and and uh, you know they they've invested in in veteran players and Kyle Lowry and Ibaka and you know they they just invested in a guy in Gasol who has a I believe around a twenty five million dollar player option next year. So uh, yeah, I don't really know what else Toronto can do. I think it's uh, right. it's all just going to come down to uh, what Kawhi wants, but. Speaking of that uh, that young secondary star in the making that uh, the Kawhi has on his team, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Pascal Siakam. Of course, last season he was a member of that great bench unit, brought a bunch of energy, and he he's really been able to transfer that energy over well to that starting unit uh, in this uh, game tonight against Houston. He was absolutely terrific on both ends in that third quarter, uh, but you know his his post game has improved dramatically. And uh, I think more importantly, come playoff time, his three-point shooting. He's shooting right around 37% from three and uh, over 40% from three uh, from the corners. He's been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> He's been better than I could have you know, ever imagined. And, you know, like, I think we, we spoke about this this summer, actually. You know, we were, um, I mentioned that, you know, out of the young core um, of the Raptors, this was pre-Kawhi trade. Um, so we still had, the Raptors still had Jakob Pertl and um, DeLon and OG um, on the roster. And I said, I think Siakam's going to be the guy that's going to take this huge step. Um, and I mentioned, you know, like, 
three-point shot needs to come, and the defense is there, but he's gonna get, he needs to get stronger. Um, and I think that, you know, he's taken huge strides in both those places, and, you know, something that I could have never imagined is he's become a, a, a secondary ball handler. He's, you know, making, <laughs> he's making reads, he's running four or five pick and rolls. He's uh, become an ISO scorer. He, he's, you know, he scored 44 points two weeks ago. Um, in a win, so I mean, he's been unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't have ever predicted that he would be this good. Yeah, I, I saw that game where he, he went off against uh, it was the Washington Wizards, I believe, and and uh, I was actually listening to a, a Dunked On podcast, and they were talking about Siakam's game, and and they were actually comparing him to kind of like a uh, a poor man's Giannis Antetokounmpo in the way he plays, and and sometimes his physicality, his athleticism is just is just overwhelming. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, like um, that that's a specific game against um against the Wizards. You know, he was just unstoppable going towards the rim. He was you know hitting shots. You know he was he was hitting threes and turning around before they went in. <laughs> like this guy's confidence is through the roof right now. Yeah, and uh, that's like uh, you know, in terms of that starting lineup, you know, there there were a lot of concerns about oh, Toronto doesn't have enough shooting, but uh, with with Siakam's growth as a three point shooter, you know, with Lowry, Danny Green, and Kawhi all being above average shooters, uh, they they now have plenty of shooting in that starting lineup. Yep. And then both Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka can stretch the floor as well. Um, you know, albeit they're not forty percent shooters, but you know they're both stepping out and hitting a three and and yeah that that bench unit is the only time where i get a little bit concerned and, and that's yep. kind of why i thought it would would be interesting to see a rotation without any of those non-shooters other than og and anobi because you know at times you see lineups with powell and mccall and even if it's just someone like siakam or ibaka uh you know with, with three guys that you know ibaka has has lit it up from the mid-range but he's been kind of a below average three-point shooter this year uh, you know, with three guys out on the floor that kind of struggle to shoot, that's where you can kind of see defenses start to suffocate the Raptors' offense. Yeah, exactly. And it's really the hesitation to shoot um, and, you know, trying to do a little bit too much um, with the ball, especially with McCaw and Norm sometimes when they attack the rim and kind of go in there without a plan. I think that that's when uh, the defenses are able to react well and cause turnovers. Now, uh, OG Ananobi, another one of the you know one of the few young players that uh, the Toronto has been able to maintain after right. making a couple of trades. Uh, you know, he he got off to a really rough start at the beginning of the season, and then had uh, some some personal matters to attend to, which caused him to miss some time, and I think uh, maybe came back a little bit out of shape after all of that as well. But uh, it seems to me lately he's he's picked it up and and started to show. Uh, some of that play that made him look so promising as a rookie. Yeah, I think that um, his defense has really stepped up recently. Um, he's been playing a lot better on the defensive end. Um, you know, he was guarding Blake Griffin a little bit on um, Sunday, and you're just kind of reminding everybody, like, this guy is you know, 20, 21 years old, and he's, he's built solidly. <laughs> you know, Blake, Blake Griffin's one of the strongest guys in the league, and he was really holding his own against him in the post. Um, and, you know, I think that He's still kind of, you know, he's about, I think, two years removed now from that major injury in college. And I think that, you know, his explosiveness is kind of coming back, but I think it's he's almost gotten used to not relying on it. 
that sometimes it feels like on the court, you know, he forgets how explosive he could be. And I think that for, you know, OG, once he realizes that he can, when he starts making moves near the rim, that he can just go up and, you know, finish over people and through people, I, I think that's going to really open up his game and let him go to the next level. And I don't know if it's a mental block or if, you know, he's just not comfortable uh, making those moves near the rim, but I think once he does, it'll be uh, you know, a, a game changer for him too. But he stepped up his game recently. Um, he looks a lot more comfortable shooting the ball too. So, you know, uh, if he can be a you know solid contributor for 15, 20 minutes a game in the playoffs, I think that that'll be you know, a great season for him. Yeah, I remember reading up about him in the draft, and you know, a lot of people were talking about the the fact that he had the potential of uh, growing into being a, a five man, uh, and uh, you know, you can you can definitely see with his body, he's already built enough to guard most fours. You know, if you can guard Blake Griffin, you can guard most fours uh, in, in the NBA. But uh, that potential is also really interesting. Uh, in you know you know looking down the line when the likes of maybe uh, Ibaka and Gasol start to to fade a little bit, um, you know and and I think you've you've mentioned to me in the past that you know you've been concerned about his uh, his lack of skill especially with the handle, but uh, yeah. playing at the five teams can't really take advantage of of players at the five not having that skill. Yeah, you know I I, I wonder you, you I think you kind of mentioned to me that he can be um, I think we had a conversation. Uh, maybe it was, it was on the podcast where you mentioned, you know, you can see him as a supersized uh, P.J. Tucker. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that comp, and I, I just wonder if the Raptors are going to be committed to kind of developing him um, to be, you know, maybe more of a screener and, you know, to work on his game where, you know, he can be a role man and catching lobs, because I think that that would be a really interesting use of him um, and his size. Um but as of right now, I, I don't recall a lot of sets where he's kind of the screen man um, setting guys up. Well, and I think a lot of that just comes down to, you know, they're, they're typically playing, uh, you know, um, two of Ibaka, Siakam, and Gasol at pretty much all times. They, they haven't, uh, again, they haven't gone to those Siakam at the five lineups too often. Uh, right. and, and so you're not going to see a lot of OG playing uh, some of those big spots, but I, but I think he could be effective there. So, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of talk, you know, at the trade deadline, you know, the Eastern Conference, these playoffs are going to be really interesting. You know, Toronto upgraded getting Gasol and Lynn. You know, Philadelphia upgraded getting Tobias Harris. Milwaukee upgraded getting uh, Nikola Miritich. Boston didn't really do anything, but they were the favorites going into the year uh, in the East. But uh, I was just curious, I wanted to go through each of them and, and get your thoughts on what you think of the Raptors against these teams, but how do you feel about uh, Toronto against a matchup with Milwaukee? It looks like that could potentially be a, a Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Yeah, I think Milwaukee's the team that I, I as a Raptors fan, fear the most. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, but you know they've just been playing at an unbelievable clip all year. Um, they have a guy, Giannis, who's you know, the Raptors have bodies to throw at him, but he's just seemed basically unstoppable all year. And, um, you know, their offense just really flows. Um, they have a lot of shooters um, to make shots, and, you know, they have a lot of length to, you know, neutralize some of the, the Raptors, you know, offensive weapons as well. So I, I think that's going to be a tough matchup. Um, will be interesting. I think that, you know, 
unless they start playing those Giannis at center minutes, which we might see a lot more in the playoffs, I think that Marc Gasol is going to be a handful for them um, and someone that, you know, Brooke Lopez will have a lot of difficulty guarding and can probably create a lot of offense, um, you know, in extended minutes in the playoffs. So that would be an interesting matchup. Um, but I, I think that, you know, they'll be a, Milwaukee will be a handful, and I think that will be a really great series. Yeah, I agree. Like uh, I, I favored Toronto against the other two teams uh, that I mentioned, but Milwaukee was the one team that I think if they were to match up, that would be that would be a struggle. Not that Toronto couldn't win, but but that would be a really tough matchup, especially given that they're they're likely to be on the road in that series. Uh, but 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 that's interesting that you like the the Gasol Lopez matchup because I think a lot of people might say that that might be difficult for Gasol given how Lopez is able to stretch the floor and, and bring big men out on on the, on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah. I, I think Gasol. He, the thing with Lopez is you know he brings guys out, but he doesn't make you pay for it by you know putting the ball on the floor if you were to come out of Garden, right? Um, and I think that's kind of where, you know, Gasol will be able to kind of handle his own out there. Um, but what it would do is, you know, open up the lanes a little bit more for, um, for, uh, Giannis and, you know, any screen and roll action could prove to be difficult. Um, but I think just on the other end, uh, you know, Gasol just, well, I don't think Brook Lopez has a chance defending him. And I think that it'll likely be that both players will end up being played off the floor. Um, just with the way I'm predicting the series go to go. And I think that we will end up seeing a lot of Siakam and Giannis at the five minutes for both teams um, in that series, which, you know, for me is really exciting. I, I'd love to see, you know, how that goes. Interesting. So, yeah, uh, I'm assuming then your thought is, uh, you know, with the, the Nick Nurse center rotation that, again, in a series against Milwaukee, he would likely start Gasol in that matchup against Lopez? I think so. I think so. Um, I think Ibaka has had difficulties um, kind of guarding Lopez. Um, and I, I think that he would likely go with Gasol there. And uh, it feels like, you know, they got Gasol with, you know, obviously Joel Embiid first and foremost in mind. But um, also I think it's to, you know, neutralize a guy like Lopez who's, you know, kind of killed the Raptors this season. Yeah, that's that's a good comment about Ibaka struggling to defend shooting centers because uh, you know he he's got that tendency he he's got he's you know he you know he's always been a a big time shot blocker but he's always got that as his number one priority and uh, I remember uh, after a game in last year's playoffs where LeBron was able to drive to the basket and uh, you know throw out uh, Kevin Love for a three that kind of ended up being yeah. a dagger in one of those games. He mentioned in the post-game press conference that he knows Ibaka so well, he knows he was going to come for the block, and so to kick it out to uh, right. uh, to uh, to love. But yeah, that that's interesting, and and yeah, maybe Gasol, despite the fact that you know he's got rim protection tendencies as well, maybe he's a little bit more of an intelligent defender and and able to stick out on uh, on shooting bigs. Yeah, I, I think that'll be the case, and um, I just think that. Still, I think that the best Raptors' best offensive lineup is with Gasol at the five there, um, and I think that this is going to be a case where there's just so many lengthy defenders on the floor um, with, uh, with you know what, uh, with Bledsoe and Brogdon and uh, Middleton and Young Honest that you know, the weak 
be Lopez, and I think that Gasol will be the guy who will be able to take most advantage of that. Um, so I, I think that that's where Nurse will end up going. Yeah, Milwaukee can be scary with its length. There was a game against Utah recently where Bledsoe and Brogdon were both out, so they went with a lineup of Middleton, uh, Giannis, Miritich, Ilyasova, and Lopez. Uh, so basically nobody uh, under 6'7 for their entire starting lineup, and, and that lineup did extremely well because that lineup still, despite all that size, has great shooting. Uh, so, yeah, Milwaukee has so many different lineups and, and uh, can throw a bunch of size at Boston, which would give them some problems. But you mentioned another uh, another key reason why the Raptors acquired Gasol is uh, for that potential matchup against uh, Philadelphia and Joel Embiid. Currently, Philadelphia is in the four spot, but I believe they're only a half game behind Indiana for the three. And uh, if Philly were to jump Indiana, that would be the second round matchup, uh, Philly versus Toronto. So how do you feel about that, and, and do you think Gasol kind of made the difference in terms of uh, who you favor in that series? Yeah, you know, like I, I think that, um, and I, I, this might come back to bite me, <laughs> I think that, that 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 is the match that actually favors the Raptors the most um, out of these three teams, which... I agree. You know, you, yeah, I mean, it, it, with Boston, it's just like, you know, controversial to say that with how they're kind of struggling right now, although I think... As we're speaking, they were beating up on the uh, Warriors today. Um, didn't see that. Didn't see the final score there. But um, anyways, yeah, I, I think that you know you have uh, a guy who can you know guard uh, and beat and has been wildly successful at it. You know they haven't had a ton of meetings, so it's a small sample size. But um, you know Embiid has always kind of struggled a little bit more with you know big burly centers who can uh, who actually have like high basketball IQ. Um, so I think Gasol kind of checks that box. We have seen um, Kawhi just completely shut down Embiid for uh, not sorry, not Embiid, uh, Ben Simmons for long stretches of games. Um, I think he forced like eleven turnovers over two meetings or, or something ridiculous like that. Um, and you know, then you have a guy like Pascal Siakam who's gonna you know be a handful for Tobias Harris and can also kind of uh, match up well with him with his inside-outside game on the other end. Um, and then you have uh, Danny Green, who is going to kind of have to be the guy that's um, kind of uh, floating around as well uh, between him and Lowry guarding um, the other two slots there. So, uh, I mean, I think that that's actually a pretty favorable um, matchup for the, for the Raptors. And, you know, they have guys who can switch. Um, they have, like, extra bodies. If uh, you know if Gasol gets in foul trouble, you can throw a bop out there for some stretches as well. Um, so I think that they have some interesting looks that they can throw at um, at Philly, and I think that you know if they do decide um, to use Butler and um, and Simmons um, heavily on uh, Kawhi Leonard, they're going to get one of them's going to get tired out. So um, it, I think it's an interesting matchup, but I think that the Raptors do. Um, have kind of a favorable matchup there, and I think that the bench unit can really um, do a lot of damage, um, depending on how many minutes the bench even plays for uh, Philly. Right, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, the, the Raptors do have the bench edge, and, and I think uh, in terms of matching up with uh, Philly, uh, you know, they've got, the Raptors have the perfect defense and, and the perfect defensive personnel to defend them. 
you know, the right. the likes of, you know, most teams are going to put their weakest defender on J.J. Redick because he's the only guy that can't really post up. And uh, so the Raptors could probably throw Kyle Lowry onto Redick. And, you know, you need a guy that can slither around screens and is a pesky defender, and, and Lowry is perfect at those things. Yeah, uh, and yeah, then, you know, they've got Danny Green as a two-guard at 6'7", uh, you know, to throw on Ben Simmons, or as you mentioned, they could throw Kawhi Leonard, uh, Siakam, and then even Ananobi off the bench. So there's not a lot of uh, of matchups where Philadelphia can look and say, we can throw this guy in the post and, and they can score. Right, exactly. And, and I'm surprised that Philly did attack this buyout market a little bit more aggressively um, after that Tobias Harris deal. Um, you know, I'm surprised that they didn't go after some of these guys. And, you know, who, who knows what goes on in the background with agents and, you know, the politics around that. Um, but, you know, like guys like Marquise Morris, guys like um, like Jeremy Lin even, right? Like, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't try to fill out their bench a little bit more with guys like this, similar to what they did last year with Ilyasova and uh, Bellinelli. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jeremy Lin thing is interesting because I think almost the, the Fred Van Fleet injury may have been actually a good thing for the Raptors in terms of signing Lin because they could tell right. Lin you're immediately going to be the backup point guard, whereas maybe Philly, uh, I, I think they would have been wrong to do this, but uh, maybe Philly said we can't guarantee you're immediately going to be slotted ahead of T.J. McConnell. Right, yeah, and you know, I, I, I still, I guess we never really talked about this, but I thought I think they gave up a little bit too much in that Tobias Harris deal, um, and it, it's a real shame that they couldn't get back another rotate, either keep Shamit or bring back a rotation player. Right, like um, the why, why not uh, get Bledsoe? Or, I mean, not Bledsoe, uh, Beverly. Um, Beverly from from Beverly the Clippers. Would have been a fantastic fit. Yeah, like he would have been a perfect fit. I, I really don't know why they weren't able to get, you know, one of those players. And yeah, giving up Shamit, who I think he's uh, he's already shown that uh, he can maybe for for a long time kind of fill a similar role to JJ Redick. You know, maybe he won't ever be quite as good uh, right. as Redick, but uh, he he seemed to be a, a decent fill in when Redick sat to kind of you know still play that similar role. Uh, so, you know, he, it wasn't as if he was nothing to throw into that deal as well. And then, right. you know, giving up multiple draft picks, including that 2021 heat pick. Yeah, I agree. It was. I thought it was quite a lot. Uh, you know, the I guess the, the argument for that deal for Philly is the idea that if, uh, you know, if Butler leaves, we have insurance that we can at least, uh, you know, right. maybe keep uh, Harris and still have a big three. Uh, and, uh, you know, in that event as well, they might still have a little bit of cap space to be able to, uh, to, to snag somebody else. But then also, uh, I think acquiring, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Reddick would be a part of that, but then I think what this trade also allowed them to do was it allowed them to, if they were just going to try to get a free agent this off season, instead of trading for one, they may have lost out on Reddick, but now... They can uh, they can re-sign Harris and Butler if they want to stay, and then use the bird rights to uh, to re-sign Redick. That would be uh, yeah. I, it's all I understand. It's doable now, but that would be an expensive roster. <laughs> yes, it would. That would be an expensive starting lineup. <laughs> and they still have zero bench as of now. So and Simmons hasn't signed an extension yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would um, be quite the lineup. Yeah. Well. Um, 
So, so we both believe Toronto would would uh, would be favored over Philly. What's your thoughts on the Boston matchup? You know, they uh, they had a couple of great meetings early on in the season right. that were some of the best games of the season. Uh, but then last week, uh, I talked with uh, Scott Levine about this when I was talking with the with him on the Celtics on on the last episode. But uh, the the Raptors absolutely eviscerated uh, Boston last time out. Yeah, I mean Boston is just uh, I, I listened to that side of those great stuff um but you know I, I agree with a lot of what you guys talked about right it's just it just seems like boston you don't know what team's gonna come out any given night right and i think boston at their best is uh it's gonna be a tough matchup for the raptors um i think horford is the guy that's gonna give trouble for both the Baca and Gasol, um as a guy who can you know draw guys out and you know unlike unlike brooke lopez it feels like we're picking up Rick Lopez a little bit here, but uh, Horford is a playmaker too, right? You, you can take it, you can take it to the rim, you can you know make plays, um, and uh, I think you know Kyrie is just one of those singular talents, like similar to Harden. You know, we talked a lot earlier in this podcast about how well the Raptors defended Harden. He scored thirty-five tonight. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like you know Kyrie is one of those guys too, right? Where um, I think the Raptors can give him a lot of different looks. They can put bigger guys on him. They can put peskier defenders on him. But he's gonna he's gonna get his buckets. And I think in the playoffs he is one of the guys that takes his game to another another level as well. Yeah, you know it is it is interesting with Harden. You know he's uh, he's got so many things he can rely on. Whether that's the step back three, the driving to the basket and finishing. He's he's added uh, the floater game. Uh, you know really well and getting to the free throw line. It seems like. You know, if you, even if you take away three of the four things, you know he's still going to end up succeeding at one of them and, and putting up points. Right. But you're right, Kyrie is one of those guys that just you know against any sort of defense, he can he can go crazy. Uh, and and speaking to the Celtics' inconsistency, and you just don't know what the hell's going on with the team. They beat the Warriors by 33 tonight. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game. I'll, I'll watch the tape of it later. But um, you know, I'm sure it's just. One of those games where you know everything looks looks well again. And Hayward um, Hayward played great from what I saw. So you know that he's kind of an X factor as well. Yeah, look at him. He went thirty points on twelve of sixteen shooting. So, <laughs> yeah. If this is the version of the of the, of the Celtics that appears in the playoffs, then I'd be concerned. Um, you know they have a bunch of rangy defenders. Um, Brown has really picked up his play of late. Um, you know Tatum. You know, kind of zones in and out, but, you know, he's a guy that we saw last year in the playoffs can, you know, be an ISO scorer and he gets some buckets. And, you know, Marcus Smart's one of those guys that's going to be a pass. And, and the, I think he can give Lowry a lot of trouble. So, uh, I mean, this is uh, it's going to be a tough matchup. I think that would be a really good series as well. The thing that I that I uh, the reason I favor Toronto just slightly over over the Celtics I, I I need to emphasize just slightly because a lot of these I feel like are pretty much a coin toss. Uh, yeah. The uh, the fact that you know and this was especially evident in that game last week. It, you know, despite all of those wing defenders that you mentioned, Boston has doesn't seem like they have anyone that can really slow down Kawhi. Kawhi was able yeah. to just get anywhere he wanted. Uh, and, and also, I think Ibaka is a really good matchup against Horford. Maybe the best matchup of any big man in the entire Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you know Horford will still get some trouble, but you know Ibaka, I think he'll be able to hold, hold his own, and I think that uh, he'll, he'll give him a tough time 
on the offensive end as well. I think uh, Horford, you know, had some trouble um, kind of coming out and guarding a guy who can hit those mid-range shots. Um, so I think that, that it's a, it's, it's a, I mean, I think that would be an interesting matchup. I, I agree with you when you said, uh, I think Jalen Brown is just, you know, maybe a year or two away from being strong enough to, to guard some of the, these bigger wings in the league. Um, and even then, you know, Kawhi is just one of the strongest <laughs> wings in the league, you know, maybe, maybe just behind LeBron. So, um, I think that he would be a handful to guard no matter what, but, um, yeah, they just kind of lack the bodies to throw at him. Yeah, Kawhi, I, I get, uh, like, when you're a top five, top ten player in the NBA, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of teams that, that can't really match up with you, but... But that's why I think it was it was so huge that Toronto was able to acquire one of those guys because they, they now have somebody that they can rely on come postseason, and I think that makes them a legitimate title contender this year. But uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Stephen. Uh, is uh, is Toronto getting out of the Eastern Conference? Oh, man, that's, uh, you know, being a Raptors fan for basically my entire life, I've learned to really... Uh, lower my expectations because the playoff <laughs> performance. Uh, I think this team has the best shot um, of any Raptors team. Um, I think it's it, it's a coin flip between them and Milwaukee. Um, it's hard for me to, you know, take the Raptors without seeing, um, you know, over the next few weeks how they gel. I still think that you see, we see glimpses of this team, and it's pretty crazy to say that. As you know, speaking right now, they're like what, 46 and 19, 46 and 20. Um, but I, I still don't think this team has consistently reached the top of its potential. Whereas I think we've seen, um, I don't know if Milwaukee has another gear. Um, I think the Raptors do, and I think if the Raptors can reach that gear, that um, they'll be the ones representing the East in the finals. Um, whether they're able to or not, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> bit of a cop out answer, but that's how I feel. I, I still don't feel like this team is fully integrated in new pieces yet. Yeah, that was the most political answer I could imagine. But you, you did offer some some interesting points in there, and yeah, the uh, uh, the the idea that that Milwaukee has maybe peaked is interesting because you know we've seen with uh, with Mike Budenholzer coach teams right. that maybe the defense in the regular season. Uh, you know, or maybe his defensive strategies maybe are are better suited for the regular season than the postseason. But uh, you know, that's what uh, the playoffs are going to be for. It'll be uh, it'll be very very interesting to see. But uh, Stephen, that's uh, that's all I had for you. I uh, just wanted to thank you for uh, for coming on. It was uh, it was fun chatting with you. No, I appreciate you having me on again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at onu.edu. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to uh, to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, 
the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the offseason. And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.